Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. Today, we are going to talk about Starship Troopers. It's having its... 25th. 25th anniversary this year, yeah. Oh boy, had you seen this movie before? I did not. I did not read the book. I have not seen... I think there's other ones besides the first one. I haven't seen any of these. I haven't read the book. Oh yeah, there are sequels to this, aren't there? Apparently straight to... DVD sequels, I think yeah. is what I've read. Yeah, that that makes sense. This seems like the type of movie that would have directed DVD sequels. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've never seen any of the sequels either, and I don't think I don't think I ever made it all the way through the book. I think I started it and thought, oh boy, this is mildly depressing. <laughs> That's interesting because the director himself didn't finish the book. He started it didn't care for it and so had the writer tell him what the book was about <laughs> that is awesome that's fantastic paul verhoven did not finish the book interesting okay so he and i are basically the same is what you're saying <laughs> kind of we're basically the same person <laughs> in all ways <laughs> every single possible way except bank account wise we are the same person so i told you last week that I have a story. Oh, yeah, that's right. I have seen this movie before. I've seen it a few times. I really like Paul Verhoeven movies. I think that he has a keen eye for satire. But I had seen this movie before. This movie had actually flown under my radar. I was not all that interested in seeing it at first because... It looked like, this is probably the same thing as Fight Club for me, because when Fight Club first came out, I thought, I don't want to see a movie about a bunch of dude bros <laughs> punching each other with no shirt on. I'm not interested in that. Obviously, it was about more than a bunch of dude bros punching each other with no shirts on. Much more, in fact. And in fact, that's turned into one of my favorite movies. But this movie, very similarly... I thought, I don't really care for a Star Wars slash Star Trek ripoff that is going to probably not be very good. I thought, I'd seen previews for it, and I always thought it was like one of those spoof movies. Like it was, you know, like Spaceballs or something, but it was like spoofing mm -hmm. those other, that's what I always thought it was. Like I really scary didn't, movie or something? Yeah, I really didn't know... <laughs> anything about it and that's just me kind of seeing a little bit and like man that's really not my cup of tea so yeah yeah well I got talked into it I had gone down to visit my brother in Chicago while he was at school he's at college and we decided one night that we were going to go to see this movie at Navy Pier so we hopped on the L the train this of course was after I had had a lot of booze. Far more booze than I should have had. But I was 22, so... <laughs> it was the thing to do. Well, I don't know if it was the thing to do, but it was the <laughs> thing that I did. <laughs> so, so I had drank a lot of booze, and we were on the train. And I, you know, I was doing fine. But there was a lady with a baby in a baby carriage, like one of those little strollers. And she was, we were standing in the, the little alcove for the door. 
to exit the the L when you get off. You know, you, you leave the, you know, there's like a little mm-hmm. thing where the seats kind of make like a little alcove. So we're standing in that alcove. There's not much room. I'm standing there. The baby's sitting there in her little stroller and the mom is standing there and they take off and everything's great. But then when they hit the brakes, I lurched over <laughs> and I barely caught myself. But I almost like slammed into this baby carriage, this this stroller, and I almost murdered a baby when I was going to see this movie. So that's the uh, that's the story. I thought you were gonna say you threw up in the carriage or something like that. I I, I was like, oh god, I don't know if I want to know this. <laughs> <laughs> I have I've only ever thrown up one time from being drunk. So yeah, that was not it. That was not the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was the time I nearly killed a baby because. I wasn't ready for the train to stop, and I almost landed on the child. The mom had a absolutely mortified look on her face. Rightfully so. Rightfully so, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No judgment on the mom. Just saying that, just trying to paint the picture. Mm-hmm. There, so. Yeah, so that's my story. I, I saw it the first time, and I thought, I don't know about this movie. I really don't know about this movie. It, it seems like, from at first blush, this movie can kind of seem... A little too literal, but I think with subsequent viewings, I've softened on it a little bit. Okay. As with most Paul Verhoeven movies, I start off going, I don't know about this movie, and then end up feeling pretty good about them. Robocop being the main one, the first time I saw Robocop, I thought, well, this is dumb, but it grew on me so much, so much when I was a teenager, and I ended up watching it all the time. So, anyway, do you want to tell everybody who wrote this movie? Who's in this movie? All right. This movie was written by Edward Neumeyer. And it's apparently very loosely based off of a book by Robert Heinle. Apparently, it's it's got some similarities, but there's a lot of differences, too. So, I guess that's why I'm saying loosely based. Mm -hmm. I've never read the book, so I don't know what all the differences are. So, I'm not sure on that. I can't really speak to that. Starring, we got Casper Van Dien as Johnny Rico, Denise Richards as Carmen Ibanez, and Dina Meyer as Dizzy Flores, Jake Busey as Ace Levy, Neil Patrick Harris as Carl Jenkins, and Clancy Brown as Sergeant Zim. What about Michael Ironside as um, Radchak? There's so many people in here. He's I, huge in this movie. I, He's definitely a major part of it. Well, because I also, Patrick Muldoon, he's yeah, in there. Yeah, where's Xander. Patrick Muldoon as Xander? Yeah. I, I like, picked like the top like seven people, and the, and I was like, I don't know where to stop this thing. And you left thing. out Michael so, Ironside. Yeah. Am Tyler himself, you decided to leave out. How dare you? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. The visitors are not your friend, <laughs> although you are acting as if the visitors are your friend. <laughs> What do you say we just dig in here, start talking about this? So before we do that, just yeah. just kind of talking about the cast. Now, there's some people I definitely recognize in here, but the main guy, that Casper Van Dien, has he been in anything else? He looked familiar, but I couldn't really place what if he'd been in anything else. Or is this like his claim to fame? This is one his one movie? You're going to love this. But he was on 90210. Oh, my God. <laughs> As was... Denise Richards, Dina Meyer, and Patrick Muldoon was on Melrose Place. These people are all teeny bopper, soap opera actors. Now, I, before... And, of course, Neil Patrick Harris is Doogie Howser. So before we get 
too much further. About yes. 10, 15 minutes into this movie, yes. I looked at you and said, what is this? Space 90210? It is Space, te- it's, it is space 90210. Now, let me tell you a little quote from the director. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven said he was aiming for 90210 in space. Uh, it worked. It worked. I came across that and I'm like, I just laughed because I thought, I knew it. That's Mission what it looked like. Mission accomplished then. Mission yes. accomplished. He did exactly what he expected with you and with me. I mean, with everybody, really. Now, I was not a watcher of 90210 or no, Melrose no, Place, but I. I had friends that were. And so, like, if I'd go over to a house, sometimes it was on. and I So I would catch <laughs> bits and pieces. That was not my cup of tea. But I had seen enough of it that while I was watching this, I'm like, God, this feels like one of those types of shows. So. You don't even have to. Like, it was part of the the consciousness when we were kids, you know? <laughs> like, we knew what 90210 was without having to see 90210. Yeah. I never watched it. It's definitely not my cup of tea. So, yeah, yeah. That's very funny. I okay. know, right? Okay, so... If we want to talk about this movie, we have to talk about the news inserts, the newsreels that they that they put in here throughout the movie. It starts with one, and it is very much it very much feels like propaganda that kind of like triumph of the will, that sort of stuff. And it basically like sums up the whole you have to be a citizen to be able to vote and you have to be able to in order to be a citizen you you know have to be in the military you have to serve to become a citizen yeah don't you have to serve like 2 years or a minimum of 2 years or something well, like that well it's a minimum if you, i don't know if you noticed but when they were taking their oath we'll get to that part but when they're taking their oath they say i i vow to to you know fulfill my 2 years or longer, or if longer yeah. as needed by the Federation. Now, we open with our main characters in high school, which is probably a big part of the whole 90210 feel. Mm-hmm. Johnny, Carmen, Carl, and Dizzy, to a degree, are all involved right off the bat. We see them in class with a veteran teacher, Radchek, played by Michael, Michael Ironside, who is grilling them on what it takes to be a citizen. What's the difference between a citizen and a civilian? And you notice how proud he is of his service. He's missing an arm. Later, we're going to see another veteran who's missing legs and a hand. We see a teacher, another teacher, who can't see. She's a veteran. She can't see. Everybody that touts military service everybody that talks up military service and says hey this is the way you know if you want to be part of the people that decide how our society operates you have to serve you have to be in the military because this is this is i mean let's just put it out there this is a fascist state this federal this federation that they're talking about is a fascist state you've got the people that can vote are the ones that buy into the system and the people that don't or can't vote don't buy into the system it's it's pretty interesting uh, also another thing with yeah. that is we'll probably get to it a little bit here but johnny's parents are civilians yes. not citizens and oh, so I meant, did i say civilians or well, did I you, say citizens? You, you said both you i oh, think okay. you said it right but they're civilians and so his parents and johnny 
are kind of looked down on by the citizens right. because they are considered lesser people at that right. point. Yeah, absolutely. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. And it's also in, in part and partial in this whole thing is that every single one of the military images in this movie has some sort of tie to Nazi Germany. Every mm-hmm. single uniform has a Nazi symbol on it of some sort or another. The Federation flag is modeled after a Nazi flag with, you know, certain eagle. There's an eagle imagery that was used in Nazi flags a lot, and that's in here as well. It's very much meant to be a fascist government, and it comes through. You know, at first watch, you don't really even think about it. You're just kind of buying into it, which is, I think, part of the genius of this film, if you will, that you're... If you're not watching for it, if you're not analyzing it, and you're just along for the ride, you kind of miss that. Oh, you're you're on the side of the fascists here. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the "Are we the baddies?" thing. You know, right? So, anyway, after they graduate, they all join the military. Carmen is going into flight school. Carl is going into military intelligence, and Johnny, against his parents' wishes, is joining up, and he will end up going into the mobile infantry marines basically he gets assigned to zim's squad to be trained and dizzy shows up as well so we've got uh, we, we get to see them learn their craft and learn how to kill basically but during a live fire exercise one of the one of the soldiers who you thought was a guy from Coach, but was I think was a guy from he was a guy from Major League Two, Breckenridge, Eric Brookstotter. He played Rube Baker. He was the catcher, the new catcher in Major League oh, Two. Okay, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah. Yep, I I, I recognize yeah. that now. The big dummy. Yeah, right? he kind of plays the big dummy here too. He he kind of does. Yeah, yes. yeah, but he doesn't live long. He gets shot in a scene that <laughs> that startled you. You jumped. It did. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting. Like blood and gore like that, I guess, coming into this. Because like I said, when I first was thinking this movie was kind of just like a spoof movie. So I, I didn't, right. wasn't really expecting like high stakes in this. Yeah. So that really caught me off guard. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it, it, it really startled me. <laughs> that was kind of a brutal, shocking, really just quick thing oh, yeah. that happened. But kind of interesting. I'm glad they put it in there because it just kind of shook you to your core and like, okay, I pay attention because stuff's happening. Here. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a Verhoeven thing is he'll throw like sudden ultra violence in in the middle of drama of some sort or another. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons that I really like some of the stuff that he's done, mm-hmm. you know. So after the accident that kills Breckenridge, Rico is, he was he's flogged as punishment for the mishap. Do you think there was anything to the fact that it was a black guy that was that it was whipping him? I think the director chose that on purpose. Yeah. I I don't know I don't know exactly what well, I mean, I, I you get what they're trying to say here, but I, I think that was a on purpose choice for that. But what were they trying to say though? Like what was the point of that? I don't I don't know. I'm all for I'm all for giving roles to people of color. It's not at all what this is about. This is more about it felt inappropriate in a way. Was it I I wonder if it was there to make us feel uncomfortable. Did you feel uncomfortable during that scene? 
Yes. But anytime I've ever seen a whipping scene, that makes me uncomfortable. I mean, that's such a brutal mm. thing for a human to do to another human. Yeah. I and what and and that's regardless of color of either one, but mm-hmm. I I always feel uncomfortable in whipping scenes. I found myself wondering how that actor felt. Like he's gotta do this thing for the movie. But like this is something that was used against people of his skin color mm-hmm. for Now, the actor apparently was trained with whipping things because during the scene, he kept inching closer. And so they had to keep telling him stop and back up because they were getting he was getting too close to the actor who plays Rico. So they actually had to put sandbags on his feet to keep him from moving. (laughs) So to me, he's experienced with this. So maybe he wouldn't have felt anything different just because it's something he does. But Mm. it is an... I I like what you're bringing up, though, because that's something to think about, I guess. Well, I mean, it's an inversion of the the trope, if you will. I don't want to diminish the pain and torture that that an entire race of people had suffered for Mm -hmm. hundreds of years. but, But in... The movies, the trope is, you know, the black guy gets the whip. Here, the white guy gets the whip at the hands of a black man, which, I don't know. It made, it gave me pause, I guess. And and being, being a white guy myself, I don't know that I really have the position to even really, you know, discuss this much, but it just gave me pause and it made me think about like what could possibly be going through this person's mind in you know in 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 acting out this scene sure so i don't know i wasn't going to bring it up but i felt like it just felt important in the moment while we were talking about it anyway rico decides he's going to quit because he he can't he thinks he can't hack it he says i only joined for carmen and carmen has left me because you find out that she you know she moves on and as he's getting ready to walk down washout row it the news comes in that the bugs the bad guys have bombed Buenos Aires, which is where Rico and everybody is, everybody in the 90210 crowd is from. And everybody there is dead. Killed millions of people, including Rico's parents and everybody else's parents of all his friends. So he begs to be let back in and he's allowed back in. The Federation decides that Buenos Aires is enough to go to war with the arachnids, the bad guys, and they launch an invasion of the bug planet Clendathu which is the home world of the arachnids, they very much underestimate what the arachnids are capable of and end up running with their tail between their legs with heavy casualties. This seems to be a theme running throughout the movie that the military is incompetent. This military that they've put... Interestingly enough, this military that has decided that they're going to be the ones that are in charge, they have decided that they're the only ones that can vote, they're the ones that are going to decide how we proceed as a society, they are incapable of doing their job well. 
in this movie. They get taken by surprise on a regular basis. They underestimate things. They get killed in in droves because of, well, fuck-ups, honestly, right? Did you notice that? That, that, that story thread, I guess? Not until the very end when I was kind of thinking about it, but while we're watching it, I wasn't really paying attention to that. Hmm. But isn't it also that the bugs didn't start attacking the humans until the humans tried to inhabit their planet? That's correct. And so you've got the humans probably trying to inhabit their planet, killing the bugs. So the bugs are just trying to at that point, keep their home. Yeah. So, I mean, this is just, this feels like we've seen this story. Of course, the story has played out, but it was after this movie came out in real life with different countries. But I I don't know. This is just, there's so much you can read into this movie with this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've always taken the humans in this as colonizers, right? Because that's what... That's what they're doing. They're mm-hmm. spreading. You know, they even say, you know, the the one of the one of the sky marshals before he resigns after the Klondathu thing, he says something along the lines of, "We need to make sure that the only group that spreads throughout this galaxy is a human group." Yeah. You know, so they believe that only that that, that they believe that only humans are suitable for inhabiting the galaxy, which is a. It's an interesting take. I think of like things like westward expansion, our invasion of a, this country as well, not ours. I mean, you and I didn't do anything, but you know what I mean. Like Columbus and mm-hmm. and the other the pilgrims when they came over and they they inhabited and they just kept shoving people back, shoving people back. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing with these arachnids. And eventually, mm-hmm. the arachnids are like, "That's enough. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna strike back." Mm-hmm. And when they get when they strike back, they're seen as the bad guy. Right. Of course, that's the point of the 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 newsreels, right? To mm-hmm. make the bad guys into the bugs. I mean, to further my point about the military being kind of incompetent and not listening to science. This is the other thing that I loved is that they don't listen to the scientists because Neil Patrick Harris's character is called military scientist in one of the newsreels, and he shows them exactly how to defeat the bugs. He's like, "Don't shoot them in the legs. Shoot them right here," and he does it. With like a short burst, mm-hmm. takes a bug down. But meanwhile, when they're on Klondathu and, and during the other, in the other uh, the other rescue mission, these guys can't shoot where they're told to shoot. You they're know, shooting everywhere but. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point because when we're watching these battles, I'm thinking, haven't they figured out how to? take these like where's their weak point i mean haven't they figured this out and shown everybody this because you would think to try and preserve you know i mean you're out in space you're not going to have unlimited like bullets and stuff right yeah, yeah. so you would think you'd want to conserve some of that stuff but no they're just like spraying everything oh, you yeah. know it's yeah. It's kind of crazy and then it makes then it makes rico look really smart how he defeats that that acid butt bug you know <laughs> butt bug. i don't yeah. know what the hell that thing was but he yeah, had yeah. acid coming out of his butt so plasma <laughs> well it looked like acid well no acid came out the front and plasma came out the back right. that's right yeah, yeah the plasma farts the butt's in the back honey yeah the front. yeah so anyways the plasma fart bug he <laughs> was 
he how he took that down made him look really smart because right. nobody else seemed to have figured out how to do this. Right. Yeah. The yeah. It was. It, it's just. It's interesting to me that they don't listen to scientists, and that's always how. But that's real stuff, life. That happens. Yeah. That's real how life. this stuff gets started, right? Yeah. Nobody believes the scientists, and then all of a sudden, you know, climate change. You know, whatever. Anyway, so where did we leave off there? We left off with, oh, the Clendathy, right? So there's this big, it's a, it's just a, it's just a, a, a mess. Rico gets wounded, but he gets mistakenly put on the killed in action list. And Carmen sees that and, you know, kind of is like sad about that or whatever. All right. But, now, just real yeah, quick. I yeah. want to talk about the love stories in this. Or God, the I don't want to talk about the love stories. No, but it's part of the movie. Meh, I right. mean, they try shoving this in here. Yeah. Does it need to be in here? No, I think it's I think it's just extra crap. It's the nine hundred two one zero part, right? That's the nine hundred two one zero part that's supposed to go through the whole thing. I don't give a shit about Rico and Carmen. I don't care. <laughs> that's just dumb. Yeah. And then you know they find the new people, and then they're falling in love with the new people, and then the new people die by the end of it. Anyways, I don't know this whole part. I I don't think it needed to be in there, or if you wanted it in there, make it a more interesting story. I did not find that stuff interesting. Nah. I don't I'm not interested in that either, but it's part of the movie. It is. So I just wanted to real quick just say I think that part could have just been taken out <laughs> and I'd been fine. Yeah, I agree. So Rico goes into a Bacta tank or whatever they're calling it in this universe. In Star Wars it's a Bacta tank. That's where he gets to, you know, heal up. And that's where we kind of get an idea that his new people, which is Dizzy really has feelings for him. We've known that since the beginning of the movie. Right, but she kind of, like, lets him know. Maybe a I little bit more. I think she's been letting him know since... I mean, she was hitting on him the whole time, even up in yeah. the beginning. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, they bring it back, so you don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> and so, then their, their colonel, like, oh, you two are going to have sex? Go right ahead before we go to war. Take yeah. 20 minutes and then come meet us and we're going to go yeah. kill these things. That's Radchak. That's the uh, that's the teacher. He comes back. He's got, like, a mechanical arm and he's oh, back Oh, give you guys business. 20 minutes. Uh, he's part like, oh, we're going to get going in 10 <laughs> minutes. Oh, wait, you got, uh, you got Reed in there or Dizzy in there? Okay, give, make it 20 minutes. Make it quick. <laughs> yeah. It's so dumb. Right. But whatever. So... The Roughnecks, including the remains of the remainder of Go's crew, which is basically Ace, Rico, Dizzy, and a couple other people, the other unnamed folks, they get they end up on Planet P, responding to a distress call from a Federation outpost. But when they get there, the Arachnids have set they figure out that the Arachnids have set a trap, and the they call for help, and just as the arachnids start to breach the perimeter, the help arrives. The retrieval ship is piloted by Carmen, and Radchak is wounded in the escape attempt. Rico kills him and then assumes command. Dizzy gets wounded as well and dies in Rico's arms. Now, this is the first of several really, really, I don't know if they're intentionally bad. I think they are. I like to think that they are because it's, uh, it's, 
It's Paul Verhoeven and it's Ed Neumeyer. This is kind of the way that they work. It's meant to be satirically bad. And <laughs> she's like, I'm dying, Johnny. And he's like, no, nah, you're going to be okay. Meanwhile, she's got like this hole in her chest. He's like, no, nah, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. I was kind of giggling through yeah. that whole thing. So I'm like, this is uh, stupid. <laughs> my God. Later on, there's a great, later on, there's a great exchange between Xander and Carmen. I'll get to that though. <laughs> when we get to it. So I wanted to talk about this uh, this distress call thing and all this. It basically just sets up Johnny as the leader, right? Yeah. And this is how you assume command. It's kind of a Sith way of assuming command. Like your, your leader dies or you kill your leader, you become the leader. Well, that's what was happening before too because mm-hmm. at one of their earlier battles, yeah. he got promoted like twice within that one little battle. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, here, you're next. Oh, go up. You're this next person. Which, again, then, speaks to military incompetence within the confines of this movie in that, well, how is he supposed to be the leader? He's been to now two missions. Mm -hmm. He's the leader now? Right. He's in charge. (laughs) He's the most qualified to make these decisions, which maybe also is what they're talking about with this whole citizen thing. Maybe they're not qualified to make those decisions. That's probably, in fact, it very well could be what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Who knows? What did you think of? What did you see? I like Michael Ironside. Did you like Michael Ironside in this movie? He's one of two actors that I really enjoyed their performance. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. The other one is Clancy Brown. I love Clancy Brown. That oh, he dude, did a good job, too. Yeah, yeah I think he, both of those guys were good. Yeah, he, he, you remember him from Shawshank Redemption? He played Byron Hadley. He was the one that beat the guy to death, and okay. then he, he went to jail, and then Red is like a saying, bit, oh, yeah. he cried like a baby or whatever. He he does he turns in a really good job. He's a good, he's great character actor. I love him. I think he's great. Oh, same with, same with, with uh, Michael Ironside. So when they get back to base command or whatever. I don't know where the hell they were. They get back to the base and Carmen and Rico reunite with Carl. And Carl turns out to be the one who deliberately sent this unit to P-Planet. Planet. He was deliberately sent to P. Because... <laughs> That's still funny. <laughs> you know, I didn't think about it until now, but that, that really is kind of funny. <laughs> anyway... So he's sent to the planet deliberately. He doesn't know that he doesn't know that Rico's in there. In fact, he even says, "If I'd have known that it was you, I wouldn't have sent you." But Rico's unit was sent there. The Roughnecks were sent there specifically because Carl thought there was a brain bug on the planet, which would direct the arachnids and learns how to de- learning how to defeat the humans and that sort of thing. And the fleet is in is going to go back to P. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even we're, do that with a straight we're face like now. acting like children here, yeah. but it's funny. <laughs> Boobies and pee and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's in this movie, right? Oh, Boobs and pee. Gosh. Boobs yes. and pee. Anyway, so <laughs> so Carl tells everybody to get ready because we're going back. So they go back to pee. During the drop onto the planet, Carmen's ship is destroyed. And she escapes with Xander in an escape pod. They crash land into a bug tunnel where they encounter the brain bug. All right. Let's talk about this brain bug really quick. (laughs) This thing comes out 
and like the face mouth area of this thing looks like a goddamn vagina. <laughs> Is this supposed to look this way? I mean, it's how it looks. So I would say it intentionally looks that way. I I was just like, Hold what on. the well, hell how is many vaginas happening? have you seen? I mean, I haven't seen them in person, but you've <laughs> seen vaginas. I mean, Jesus Christ, I know what they look like. This is they look like that. <laughs> well, not exactly, but it definitely resembles so, that. So right? you're saying it evokes vagina, but it's not actual vagina. No, it's not, but it looks like that, right? Am I, like, completely off my rocker? Well, that remains to be seen. But, no, I don't (laughs) think that you're wrong in this scenario. It does kind of evoke that. What a weird-looking bug. It is a weird-looking bug. And then it looks like almost like it has a huge pulsating brain off the back of it or something. I I don't know. Tiny little legs. It has to get, like, transported places. This is the weirdest damn thing I have ever seen. Yeah. I would love to hear what the director and the creative department what they were thinking when they came up with this thing you know (laughs) yeah yeah that would be that would be interesting the the thing that i thought was was cool about this though is well okay this is where i get my this is where i get my second of my favorite bad lines in this movie carmen says because the the bugs don't kill them the bugs capture them Mm -hmm. and drag them to the brain bug and carmen says why didn't they kill us and Xander says, they want us alive. <laughs> yes, but why? <laughs> That's what not killing us means. That's what not killing us means. <laughs> Again, they're dumb. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, boy, Xander. Oh, boy, buddy. We, we need to talk about your analytical skills there. <laughs> it's a good thing you're a pilot. Jesus. Anyhow, the... Brainbug uses a proboscis that pops out of its vagina face <laughs> to, to, God damn it, to, <laughs> to suck Xander's brain out. Oh, man. And then he tries to do that to Carmen, but she cuts off the proboscis with... Or proboscis? Is it proboscis or proboscis? Proboscis? I don't know. Proboscis, proboscis. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's one of those little thingies at the front of the bug. It's what the skeeter bites you with, right? Yeah. Okay. So Carmen cuts it off with a knife that she was that she had hidden and starts to like kind of fend off the bugs. But while this whole thing was going on, Rico and the Roughnecks had made their way along like they were they were their invading army trying to find the bug was doing their job behind the scenes while this was all going on but Rico and two volunteers which turns out to be Ace and Watkins they come with Rico to mm-hmm. try and save Carmen because at one point he says I I she's still alive I need to go and help her mm-hmm. I know where to go come with me and they're like how do you know and he's like I don't know I just know Turns out later that Carl was telling them, you know, mentally. Carl's telepath of some mm-hmm. sort, some level of telepath. So there's also that level, of, or that layer of, of different from our world mm-hmm. to this movie, right? There's this telepathic, like there's some sort of like he can kind of guide people with his thoughts and stuff. But and, that's the only yeah. time he guides people. He only ever up until that point and beyond. He only ever interacts with animals. 
That we know of. That, well, that we know of, yeah. Because he's mean, not in here a whole lot. Right, yeah, but I mean, this is film. This is show, not tell, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, well, whatever. I, I, I'm not really, I don't really have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting that, that at that point, they didn't really set this up very well, I guess is what they I'm saying. They actually did in the beginning with the, fer- the ferret. He, he made the ferret go to the mom, and then Rico said, don't ever do that to me. Oh, he does, doesn't yeah. he? You are right. Okay, I take it back. They did set it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did set that up. Shit, it, okay, so it doesn't come from out of nowhere because Rico plants the seed, the idea that he can do that to humans. Okay, yeah. you're right. Sorry. My bad. So Rico and his two cohorts arrive, and they he has a nuclear grenade. They they use nukes, like, randomly in this movie, right? That's That's... Yeah, the first one that went off, I'm like, how are they not all dead? <laughs> Jack Bauer powers, man. Oh, Jack Bauer power. Oh. <laughs> I used to call 24 the Jack Bauer power hour. Ah, uh, sure. Okay. So, there you go. Anyway, he's using one of these grenades as kind of the way that Leia uses the thermal detonator to threaten Jabba. Or the way that... Here you go. Here's an homage for you. It reminds me of... Ripley and the alien queen in Aliens and Ripley with the flamethrower kind of pointing it at the eggs and saying, if mm-hmm. you don't let me go, and you don't let her go, we're going to torch you. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that. Doesn't really work out the way that they expect, though. And Watkins is injured in the escape attempt. And he holds onto the grenade and blows the grenade up, and the others escape. Rico and Carmen and Ace escape. When they get to the surface of the planet, they discover that they they caught the bug, because the brain bug took off when he sent the other arachnids after them. And they they caught the brain bug. It was actually Zim who caught the brain bug, which I thought was kind of cool. That was a neat little turn of events. Mm -hmm. Because when he gets ready, when he wants to go, when Zim wants to go and fight after the Buenos Aires thing, the CO tells him, no, the only way you're going to do that is if you bust yourself down to to private. Mm -hmm. Well, it's exactly what he did. He busted himself down to private. Because he calls, he refers to him as Sergeant Zim. Rico refers to him as Sergeant Zim at first. But he's like, it's private, sir. So he busted uh, himself down so sure. he could join the. He busted himself down so he can get out there and kill some aliens. I just want to kill things. So we find out that Carl scans the bug, and reveals that it's afraid, and they celebrate this. Yes, that was very they, weird. They caused this with their westward expansion thing. The bug struck back. They went out, got a bu- got slaughtered. Went back out, caught one of their big their big guns, and now they're terrified. The aliens are terrified of what these humans that have been swarming their planet are going to do, and they're happy about it. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! <laughs> and of course, we have to end on a propaganda clip, right. saying that you know, you must enlist. Yeah, Look gotta how cool enlist. This is. Gotta keep fighting. <laughs> they're gonna keep fighting, and they'll win. Which. I think is kind of chilling to think about, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. 
apparently uh, one of the interesting things between book and movie I guess and I think there's some confusion and some misunderstanding on what people mean and everything Mm -hmm. but apparently the guy that wrote the book Robert Heinlein yeah Apparently, he's a left-wing man, and he wrote the novel as a satire of military regime. Oh, no, by this point, he had gone full conservative. Okay, so, but the filmmakers, Paul Verhoeven and Edward Neumeier, Mm -hmm. they described him in interviews as a right-wing militarist. And so I found that interesting when I was doing research, but because you've got people, you know, saying the author of the book was one way, and others saying the other, and it's, you know, depending on how you feel about this, you really could think of him as either way. Not reading the book, I can't really say. And and you, it sounds like you know a little bit more about this author. I do. Heinlein was was a very liberal author early on. Okay. In fact, he worked on the campaign for Upton Sinclair, who worked. He tried to get elected governor of California. But he was anti-communist. He became an, an activist. He tried to get a California State Assembly seat at one point. But in the 1940s and 50s, he started to kind of turn a little more conservative, I think. He started to believe that a strong world gover- government, a world government, was the only way to avoid a mutually assured destruction. Nuclear annihilation, basically. He stopped considering himself a Democrat in 1954. This book came out in 59. So he was staunchly staunchly conservative by that point. So yeah, I mean, at, at one point he was a liberal and he ended up being a little more conservative, a lot more conservative by the end of it all. He died, I think, in the 80s, I want to say, 88, something like that. But yeah, yep. So that's about that's about as much as I know about like his personal politics, really. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean, I'm not saying that he's out there saying, oh, Nazism or whatever, but I think there are people who will look at his he'll look at who will look at this 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 piece of work in in particular and say oh no he was obviously saying it was bad but the novel is not it's not a satire this movie is a satire Mm -hmm. of the novel of a militaristic view of the world the book is not a satire the book is very serious about yeah, it's and see, there's t- people that are defending the book, saying yeah. that it's supposed to be satire. And again, I've never read it. I, I can't speak to that myself. I'm right. just saying what people are yeah. trying to say. Hey, it's not that bad. It's just a satire thing. But, <laughs> you know, I just find this fascinating because, like I said, just depending on what your beliefs are, you're going to f- maybe fall on different sides of how you feel about this. Yeah, the simple fact that the fascist government seems to have created a utopia lends itself to the belief that he is conservative by this point. I mean, you you know, it you can definitely see in the book how it promotes militarism. You can see how it glorifies war. Yeah. I mean, I can't see it as anything other than fascist fantasy and 
that I think is part of the reason that this movie to me is is so much better than it could have been. It's not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, but when you look at it as, oh, it's a send-up of its source material. I don't know too many things that do that. I can think of like maybe a handful. Casino Royale, the 1967 adaptation of Casino Royale, is a send-up of a Bond novel. This is a send-up of the novel Starship Troopers. Do you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah. I feel like I've talked that out now, and yeah, I just I don't I, really have an ending to that. I'm yeah. really sh- I'm really shitty at transitional dialogue, so <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. Yeah. I have one thing left that I want to say. Okay, Jake Busey. We can only hope that Jake Busey becomes as much of a madman as his dad. <laughs> I just think Gary Busey is fantastic. I've always loved Gary Busey. Gary Busey is is very '80s for me, you know. And Jake Busey, we can only hope that in his later years will be as much of a madman as his dad ever was. So, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> anyway, that was it. That was all. Oh, did you notice, real quick, did you notice that they use CDs for like when, when they get like their mail? It comes in the form of a CD. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> they thought CDs were all the rage back then. Like video CDs. They were oh, going to be so here cool. forever. I know. <laughs> video CDs. Ah. That's how we that's how we send our Now now I've got a brick that I put in my pocket. I can call anybody I want at any time I want. Anyway. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, do you have any other trivia tidbits that I you didn't have? I do have one thing I want to talk about. What do you got? I found some alternate casting this time. Oh lord, lay it on it's me. It's been a got? while since I found some alternate casting. Excellent. For Johnny Rico. We have Mark Wahlberg. Oh, Jesus. And this is 1997 Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Boogie Nights era Mark Wahlberg. I mean, eh, I could see it. You know, I could see it. I could see, I I understand why they would be considering Mark Wahlberg for this role. He was mm-hmm. kind of an it thing back then. Sure. So, Sure. I think the hard part would be his accent. They're supposed to be from Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. And already they changed the Rico character. It was supposed to be in the book. It's Juan yeah. Rico. And he's supposed to be from a Filipino family. Right. And then they changed it to Johnny Rico. And they're all, you know, white families living down here. Yeah. Which, you know, is this a future? Who knows what's happening? But I just thought, okay, this is kind of weird. But anyways, where I'm going with that is Mark Wahlberg is not really good at hiding his accent. And <laughs> What? No. <laughs> I think that would be weird having that that accent from that area of the world. Eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I agree. You know, that's interesting that you point out that everybody in Buenos Aires is a white person. That's the colonization thing. That's that theme of colonization. White people have conquered even the Latin countries in South America and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And now they're out to, just to conquer the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. Do Our, we ever see... Well, we do see people of color in in charge because the second Sky Marshal is a black woman. So, Yeah. Anyway, sorry. What's your, what are your other... What are your right, other another ones? one is Matt Damon. For Johnny Rigo? Yep. That would have been really weird. Although at that point, that was Goodwill Hunting era yeah. Matt Damon. Like unknown Matt Damon. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. I think it might have worked. It might have worked. James Marston? James Marston would have worked. James Marston is 
Casper Van Dien is like Walmart James Marston anyway. And James Marston is like Walmart James Dean. So there we go. <laughs> so wait, so hold on. Does that make Casper Van Dien like the dollar store James Dean? Maybe. Holy shit. Maybe. What's the next step? I mean, that's like that's like inception for like Walmart Goodwill, celebrity. Maybe? Goodwill. <laughs> Lord, okay. <laughs> Keanu Reeves? No, come on. I think he Why? wouldn't have worked because... He was already a known quantity. Yeah, I think he's too, too big of an nah, actor for that. He's too big of an actor. Yeah, you don't want that. Josh Brolin? James Brolin's kid at that point. Pretty young. Could have worked. Yeah, I, I think, think that would have been but... okay. I don't know. And the last one I think what would probably fit in pretty well is Jason Priestley. <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. He would have been perfect for the role. <laughs> the 90210. Yeah, exactly. Or is, is he the go... Melrose place? No, I don't I know. I think he I was no 90210. <laughs> it was him and Shannon Doherty on 90210. I remember that much. All right. And then for Carmen, I've got two. Yeah. Nev Campbell. Oh, yeah. I suppose that would have worked. Or Rebecca Gayhart. Rebecca Gayhart, I would have seen as Dizzy, not as, not as Carmen. Yeah. Was she ever considered for the role of Dizzy? I it didn't say. It said for the part of Carmen. Because Dina Meyer reminds me of Rebecca Gayhart. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like urban legends era Rebecca I think Rebecca I would Gayhart. have liked Nev Campbell because I like Nev Campbell better as an actor than Denise Richards. I don't think Denise Richards is a very good actress. She's not. Have you ever and, seen her in her Bond movie? And like, I don't know, through this whole thing, whenever she's on the screen, I'm just like, and nothing against her personally. I just, she's not my favorite actress, so. No, I think she's outclassed is the problem. I mean, there's nothing wrong with trying your hand at acting, but, but like, she's definitely outclassed. She's just very blank expression. Like, yeah. there's nothing going with her facial features or adding to it. It's just yeah. always kind of like the same expression on her face. Yeah. Maybe the early Kristen Stewart for you, huh? Yeah, yeah. early yeah. Kristen Stewart. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely so. early Kristen Stewart. Anybody else? Or was Neil Patrick Harris always attached to this? You know, I didn't see huh. anything on that, so I can't answer that. Interesting. I don't know. Okay. Well, if that's all you got, then let's do our thing. Keep, rent, or erase, Jennifer. All right. This is tough. Really? Okay. This movie is not my cup of tea. Right. I do not like these kind of movies. Okay. What do you mean, sci-fi, or do you mean... This this is a little too sci-fi. There's a little bit too much. Like, honestly, when I first watched this, I did not pick up on all of this behind the movie meaning. You all know? the themes and everything. Yeah, in it? Okay. I didn't pick up on that. Okay. And honestly, an hour in, I'm like, this has got to be the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I I was really not into this at all. And. Yeah. And by the end, I was like, okay, it's getting a little better. It wasn't until I started researching it and you started finding out about the themes that I'm like, okay, this is making this more interesting now right. because he was trying to do something with this. So because of that, I'm leaning towards rent. Okay. If I'm going with my own personal opinion, because do I like this movie? I would go with Erase <laughs> because I probably won't watch this again. Sure. I, this yeah. is not really a movie for me. So I'm kind of in the middle there. I, I mean, I feel like, you know, if you like movies that are trying to tell you an underlying story, without just slapping you in the face with it, this is great for that. Mm. But if you're not really into the big sci-fi type stuff, it's probably not for you. So I don't know. I'd be kind of going back and forth on that. Do I have to actually pick one or can I just go with that? I don't know. 
Do you want to go either rent or erase? You decide, listener. Is that what you're saying? Uh, how about right on the line? You <laughs> so know? are you going to eke it over to a rent, or is it is it going to eke over to erase? What's the what's the determining factor? That's what you got to decide. Right. If is I, there worth? Is it worth somebody watching this movie? Okay, I think a person that's going to maybe watch this is probably somebody who might be into sci-fi, anyways. And I'm going to say I'd I'd put it over to rent then. Okay. If you like sci-fi movies, definitely watch this. Fair enough. I think that's a it's it's a decent movie for sci-fi fans. If you're really not into sci-fi though, maybe just skip it. It's a too <laughs> long movie and it's it's kind of goofy in parts. Although if you like kind of goofy stuff, it might work for you too. So yeah. I I guess I then will land in. A light rent column. <laughs> okay, so this one's definitely steady into the rent column for me. And for all the reasons that we've already talked about, that there are underlying themes. You know me, I like to pick movies apart. There are underlying themes to this movie that I didn't even recognize the first time I watched it, so I get where you're coming from. It took me multiple viewings to notice things like they have SS on some of the on some of the flight uniforms. Mm-hmm. There's an eagle that looks like a Nazi eagle on the flag. Like mm-hmm. little things like that. Things like all the veterans are missing limbs and they're all still okay with people going in the military. Right. There's you know the, one guy even says Hey, mobile infantry made me the man I am today. And you they pan down and you see no legs and he's also missing an arm. So there's there's some subtle black comedy in this movie that I really like and I think I think it's worth a watch. I do. If you want to watch a better Verhoeven movie, watch Robocop. But if you want to watch a decent Verhoeven movie, rent this one, I'd say. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. What, right. are we, what are we doing next? Next week, we are going to cover They, Them. They, Them. Yeah, so this is interesting. We've, we kind of stumbled on this one. It didn't get a lot of press. It's a it's Kevin Bacon returning to his horror roots yet again. And he's he plays a counselor at a... Is it a gay conversion camp? Is that what it is? I don't even think I've seen a trailer, so I, I haven't can't seen a trailer. That. Yeah, I, don't I haven't know. seen a trailer either. I thought I read that as the caption. I'm a, I'm looking forward to this. I'm always up for a good horror movie. I love Kevin Bacon. I'm ready. Let's watch it. We'll so, watch that next week. We will. Right here on the couch. We'll see you guys. Well, well, you'll hear us later. We won't see you. Thank you for listening to A View from the Couch. We value your feedback. Please consider leaving us a review on Podbean iTunes, or your preferred podcast listening app. You can reach us on Facebook by searching at A View From The Couch, on Twitter at View underscore Couch, or by emailing us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. Thanks again for listening. Bye. See ya.